Friends, it's, uh, it's good to be with all of you today. Uh, it's been a month, uh, but uh, really our church hasn't met in person for uh, around four months, so it feels like forever since I've seen you. Uh, and even coming back after a month is so strange. You know, what, are, what am I even coming back to other than to try and figure out what's next and reinvent ourselves all over again? I, I say all that to say I miss you all. Um, I do. What a strange and hard time to be alive. What a strange and hard time to try and figure out what it means to be the church. And um, I, I hope that you understand that, that it, it is hard and difficult at times to figure this out. As our sabbatical started to come to an end last week, I, I felt for the first time in really a while some clarity around What's happening in the world and what I sense might be happening in our lives as a community, uh, I could be wrong, but what I sense might be happening. And so as hard as this could be, I want to share some of my thoughts with you. They'll, I think they'll be raw at times. Uh, I do expect them to be honest, vulnerable, and perfect. I am going to stick to my manuscript pretty closely, so if I say the wrong thing, it'll be on purpose. Um, but I hope you'll receive them as such. I want to talk today about the um, really kind of the Christian response to the coronavirus. It's been four months since all of this started, or give or take, and um, things are not back to normal. I wouldn't have guessed that when it started. Um, we're still live streaming. Um, I think many of us are tired, uh, frustrated. Um, I hate this. I don't know a single person who's a fan, you know, like, man, we could just uh, do this forever. Uh, I think there might be a few people who enjoy some aspects of it, and that's fine. But I, I don't know many who want to stay home, who, who want to do the live stream, who want to get on another Zoom call or uh, even wear a mask. I'm just tired of it all. And everyone in the world has an opinion about that, uh, about what I should or shouldn't do, and about how I should feel about what I do or don't do. And I think many Christians do as well. So I want to name something uh, that you may or may not be aware of. You could certainly have guessed, but I, I need to name it. We at Central City Church are not of one mind. Uh, people in our church do not agree on the best faith-filled response to the, this pandemic. In fact, I don't even agree with myself, um, and I think that's why it's been so hard for me to talk about it in, in any sort of articulated way. There are those in our community that represent, I think, pretty far extremes on both sides of, this, uh, of what's happening. And, and if I'm honest, when I'm, when I'm over here on one side, I find myself defending my friend over here. And when I'm over here on this side, I find myself defending my friend over there. And, uh, of course, constantly living like that is exhausting. And that, but that's just a microcosm of what's going on in my life. One second, I'll argue that people should wear masks, and the next second, Alyssa and I are walking around Zumbezi Bay with hundreds of other people. Not even with Finn, by the way. We went for ourselves. Like, I can't even say, I was like, well, Finn needed to get out. No, he's like at daycare, which is a whole other thing that could be controversial. And, of course, we're not even posting any of that on social media. Um, and, uh, well, maybe that says enough as it is. You know, why not? Uh, fear of judgment, uh, fear of shame, because I don't want to be a bad example. I can't decide. And so to some, I would tell you uh, that as a story, um, I share that to you uh, uh, because this is a struggle and it's exhausting. And I want to talk today about ways that we disagree about what should and shouldn't happen regarding COVID-19, recognizing that disagreement might even be found inside of us, that the difference between our beliefs and our actions 
our views of best practices and our actual practices might not even line up. And I want to name some things for our church and hopefully paint a way forward that, that will give us hope in life. So with that in mind, I want to be honest. I have a lot of fears about what I want to say today. And, and so I want to say two things. First, one, I'm not talking about you. Uh, I'm talking about us, um, you and me together, uh, the world, our culture, but specifically our church and our community and the people who identify as a part of our community. I'm talking about us, not, not you particularly. Two, I might not be talking about you at all. This might not apply to you, and I'm fine with that. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm the one who should even decide whether it applies to you. If you listen and God uses it to speak to you, challenges you, then that's between you and God, and I encourage you to receive it as such. But it might not. And, and you can discern that. I'm not trying to, to, to suggest that I know what you need to say, uh, especially in light of the fact that it's been so long since I've seen you, so long since we've had conversations, so long since we've been able to hash out ideas together, and so much of what I say is happening in my own echo chamber. I say that now, I say it up front, and I'm going to continue to talk anyways. So I appreciate the grace. So with that said, I want to focus on a statement. A statement that defines the church today. Uh, whether you agree with it or not, it, it defines what's happening in the church today, and I think it's unavoidable. Not just our church, but I, probably church around the entire world. It's this. It's a very simple statement. The best way to love your neighbor right now is to stay home, wear a mask, social distance, wash your hands. Uh, I'm going to repeat that. The best way to love your neighbor right now is to stay home, wear a mask, social distance, etc. It's not a new phrase. Uh, I've heard it from a lot of places. I've seen it posted in a lot of different ways, and, and I want to spend some time with it. I, I have four, just four things. I'm keeping this very meticulous. I have four things that I want to say about it. The first one is this, and this is good news. I think we can all agree, and, and I don't think this is controversial, so correct me if I'm wrong. I think we can all agree that one of the primary goals of our faith is to love our neighbors. Jesus said it like this. The, the two great commandments is to love God, and the second is to love your neighbor. And he said it's like it. So I, I think we can all agree that at least priority number two for a follower of Jesus is to love our neighbors. And I don't know anyone in our community of faith that would disagree with that. Um, so I want to start there. I think it's a good start. It's good to start in a common place. That's where I'm going to start. Our goal, everything that I want to say comes out of my desire uh, to be as faithful as possible to love my neighbors. Um, and, and I hope that you can hear that. And, and that's what we're called to do. Given that, here's the second thing I want to say. One of four things. Here's the second one. Um, consider again this statement. The best way to love your neighbor is to stay at home, wear a mask, wash your hands, social distance, etc. If you use this statement as permission to think less about other people, we're not loving our neighbor. If we look at someone who disagrees with us regarding this statement, and as a result, we look down on them, we think less of them, we judge them, we don't think they're doing it right, we make fun of them, we poke and make jokes, or we think less of them, that's not how we love our neighbors. Judging your neighbor is not how we love our neighbors. The Christian faith has struggled with this for generations, and we're struggling with it in a new way now, but I'm here to tell you, judging our neighbors is not 
how we love them. And, and we all agree that our goal is to love our neighbors. So there are ways we can love people we disagree with. And, and this isn't an exhausted list, but there are a couple responses. And I want to spend some time with this and come back to it again at the end. There's three responses I want to share today. Like I said, not an exhausted list, but a pretty good one. The first one is you can just offer people grace that you disagree with. You can look at them and say, I disagree. And without even talking to them, you can give them a break. You can offer them the benefit of the doubt. You can offer them grace. Um, that's the first thing you can do when you disagree with someone who you're called to love. If you can't do that, if you, if you just find you can't do that, the option two comes on the table. If that's not possible, you can talk to them about it. If you, if you let your concerns, uh, you can let your concerns uh, and your voice be heard. None of us can really change someone else's mind. I, I've found that to be fairly impossible. But we can all be honest about where we're at. And sometimes we just need the other person to, to understand. We can go to someone who we think is like, just, I need to say this to you. We need to talk about it. Um, and it's okay to disagree in the context of conversation. It is possible to love your neighbor and to actively disagree with them in the context of a relationship and conversation. Those are two ways. Those are the ways that I'm going to encourage you to consider. There's a third way. The third way, and I think it's appropriate, um, I think it's something we've all done when we have to, and it's something that's a hard decision to make, but one of the third ways is we can cut ourselves off from our neighbor. Sometimes the most loving thing to do for ourselves and for other people is to say, I can't be in a relationship with you. This is damaging. This is unhealthy. I can't, I don't feel comfortable. I've either tried to talk to you about it or I don't feel comfortable talking to you about it, and I can't then, because of that, be in a relationship with you. And I think that's a fine way to do, uh, to respond to people we are called to love and still disagree. Sometimes that's the most loving response. But I want to sit with this one for a second. Here's what you need to know. Option three, cutting yourself off from people, has never been easier. It's never been easier than just to push someone away and say, I'm done, you know, I'm not interested. I'm not going to, now I get it. Um, some of us might need to do that, and, and fine, but as a pastor of Central City Church, I need you to hear me say something. If the majority of our church chooses option three, we don't have a church. I mean, it just doesn't exist. The community exists because we choose to engage with one another, or we choose to offer grace to one another, and so we can't just say, I'm done. So while option three can and is the easiest option right now, I need those who consider this church home to, to as their church home, I need you to first consider and try option one and two. If you disagree with someone, ask yourself, can you give them some grace? Can you make room in their heart? And if not, can you reach out to them? Can you talk on the phone or over Zoom even or share your frustrations and concerns and start a conversation? We can, we can all agree that loving uh, and just agree to be loving and considerate and to listen and try to seek understanding. Um, I know some of this sounds really dramatic, and I don't mean for it to be, but at the same time, I do, because I, I do feel like this is something that's happening in our world, and it's certainly impacting the church. I don't think God wants us to look at someone from a distance and to judge them. It's the kind of thing that kills your soul. There are healthy and biblical ways to love people you disagree with. So first, can we all agree that we should love our neighbors? And second, I hope you can see that judging your neighbor without necessarily acting on it or having healthy conversation is, is not a, a great way to love them. Forgiving, giving grace, talking, even disagreeing with someone can be fine ways to love someone if done with respect. But quietly judging someone from a distance, it helps no one. And, and I say that, and I'm not saying that you're doing that. I'm saying that I've done that. And so I'm guessing there's at least a few who've done it as well. So third... Three out of four that I want to share around this statement. For those who see the statement like this and disagree, when you see a pastor like me say, the best way to love your neighbor is to do what the majority of the scientific community is asking us to do, you know, wear a mask, stay home, wash your hands. If you disagree with that, 
first, I want you to know that I love you. Um, I struggle with it. I, uh, I don't always necessarily agree how it's practiced. Um, but I also love your desire to, to question and push back. I, I love your desire to invest in relationships and all things. But I want you to know this, and this is important for me to say, we've always been a church that has taken the advice of professionals seriously. It's just who we are. And we have many professionals in our community, many medical professionals in our church, and we value their thoughts and advice and their wisdom on this matter. That's, that's, that's who we are. Um, so when we hear people say, socially distance, wear a mask, wash your hands, these are things that we take seriously. These are things that we listen to. These are things that we try to live out. We can maybe disagree on the semantics or when and how and under what circumstances that we play them out. But these are things that we take seriously. And we will, as a church, likely err on the side of caution. Um, regardless of how I feel about it or anyone else. That's just kind of who we are. Um, I understand that this is hard, and, and I don't like any of it, but I, but I wanna, want all of us to understand that it is good and it's holy and appropriate to put concerns of the community above the concerns of the individual. And so if we're told by the medical community to do something that inconveniences me, it's fine, and it's not unchristian, to do that. It can be very loving and very sacrificially. If nothing else, I want us to go back to the idea of like, let's not look down on people or make fun of them or think differently uh, or, or make fun of them because they think differently because they have a different view on that. So that's third, so, to those who might disagree. For those who see the statement and agree, I see you as your pastor. Um, I say, you know, the best way to love your neighbors is to wear a mask, stay home, etc. And you say, amen. Pastor, um, I'm on board. Let's do this. I've already posted about it on social media today. I'm on board. Here's what I have to say. First, I love you. I agree. I, I, I think this is something we should do. I, I don't always understand how to do it. In my own practice, I, I get it wrong sometimes, but I'm on board, and I think we should do it. I love your passion for breast practices and what science has to say, uh, your desire for community that's unique and original, and the willingness and courage to say, hey, we can't do life as we normally did it. We have to reimagine it, and I'm going to put in the energy to reimagine life, and it's going to be hard and disorienting, and I'm exhausted already, and I see you, and I get it. Here's what I want to say to you, though. My challenge to you, this statement, you know, the best way to love your neighbor is to dot, dot, dot. It's not 100% accurate. This is something we all need to hear. Doing these things are not the best way to love your neighbor. They are relevant, temporal, temporary. They might be relevant, temporal, uh, temporary ways to guide how we love our neighbor. I'm fine with that. But they are not, nor have they ever been, the goal in loving our neighbor. Here's what I mean by that. God makes it clear that there are two ways to love our neighbors. What, what some call the social gospel and the personal gospel. The social gospel is mission and justice. We stand up to injustice. We fight for what is right in the world. We provide people with their basic needs. We, we, there's countless stories in, in, in Scripture and passages in Scripture that support this idea of justice and mission. What you do, the least of these you do to me. The social gospel. The second way to love your neighbor is the personal gospel. We invest in faith-forming relationships. We pray with other people. We read scripture together. We talk about our life together, and we engage in faith-forming relationships. They have, these two things have and remain the best way to love our neighbor. Um, So I want to thank everyone who's living into the justice submission here at Central City. You're giving uh, to our immigrant relief fund, uh, supporting Little Bottoms, showing up to volunteer. You're, You're engaged in 
anti-racism work. You're helping your neighbors. You're giving, loving, uh, giving and loving people in need. And I want to say thank you. I also want to thank those who continue to invest in faith-forming relationships. You're, you're calling people. You're talking and sharing life together in appropriate ways. Your small group meets to check in. You actively are praying for someone. You're sharing scripture and devotion with people via text, email, in person, whatever. You're, you're, this is good. You're loving your neighbor, and I want to say thank you. But for the rest of us, or for parts of us, for parts of even me where I've failed this, I fear that there are times, myself included, where I've used this statement about social distancing as an excuse to put off every other area of my faith. And that makes sense. When we started, many of us put a lot of things off thinking it would be over. And it's not over yet. We're still here. So we can't put off our faith until it's over. We can't put it off anymore. God's call on our life hasn't stopped just because everything else has. And you don't, you don't have to leave your house to call someone or to pray with someone or to talk scripture with someone or to be in a faith-forming relationship. Whether you're comfortable meeting in person or only digitally, you can, you can still accomplish what it means to love your neighbor. The early church launched in a, in a way that um, just grew exponentially, and it grew a lot under the leadership of Paul, and the Holy Spirit used Paul to plant all these churches. Paul spent a, a large amount of his ministry time at home, or in prison, or under house arrest, and God, never did Paul say, well, I'm stuck here, so I just to put my faith on pause. No, he, he engaged in his faith and continued to reach out to churches and ended up writing letters that uh, we read still today. I'm not saying if you take this seriously that you'll write something that people, you know, become a part of scripture. That's not, you know, that's not, <laughs> that's not what I'm saying, but, but certainly we can see that if, if you, we sit at home and we don't do anything to engage in our faith, we're missing the point. So thank you for all those who are, and I challenge us to do it more. I don't want us to miss this. I think we should all do our part to social distance, wear masks, to think intelligently, to make our own hard decisions around what it means to live in this world. But none of that means that any of us are off the hook of truly investing in and loving our neighbors biblically. Staying home hasn't replaced God's call in your lives. Going out hasn't replaced God's call in your life, period. When you're comfortable meeting with someone in the park, like I have, or, or texting someone, every, it doesn't, or Zoom, whatever it is, God's call in our life to be in faith-forming relationships and to engage in justice and mission hasn't changed. The best practices you know, that we get from professionals for life can guide us how we go about loving our neighbor, but it's dangerous territory when we assume that doing those things is the way God wants us to love our neighbors. I hope you can see the difference. So say all of this because we are not of one mind here at Central City Church. And I left at the end of June for, you know, what was meant to be a, a month of renewal, and it was that. Me and Alyssa were able to do a lot of things, and we didn't talk about church. We didn't talk about this. And I think that maybe was good because I was able to sit on it, and God was able to kind of free me of all of the exhaustion that we're all feeling, and I'm so grateful for that time. But I left at the end of June paralyzed as a pastor. I felt stuck. I was afraid. I was, lived in, I was afraid of our congregation, of, of upsetting you or making the wrong decision or disappointing one person or another on both sides of the fence. And, I, you know, you should be like, Pastor, you shouldn't be like that. You should be more mature than that. You, didn't you learn that already? And yes, to all of that. Of our, we, you know, like you learn all of this. But this is, everything is so new and so disorienting that I'm living through all of these lessons I need to live again. If I'm honest, if I'm honest, I've looked down on people on both sides of the spectrum. I've contributed to this thing I'm talking about. And so I'm here to tell you I'm sorry. I've looked down on me for decisions I've made and decisions I haven't made. 
I've wrestled with it, wrestled with how I should feel about it. And I'm sorry, not for what I've done, for any time that I've thought less of you because of what you've done. And I want to ask for your forgiveness. I want us to be a community. The world isn't what it was. We are dealing with that in all different ways. We're stressed. We are grieving. If we're honest, we're stubborn. We're convinced maybe sometimes that we're even right. And we have placed, maybe sometimes we place that above God's command for us to love one another. I have put these above God's command to love you well at times, and for that I'm sorry. As a pastor, I, want, I am going to suggest things, and, and we're going to do things that might, you might not like. And it's always been true, but I feel like it's, everything's more tense now. Everything's more life or death. So I, I know this, though. I know that the kingdom of God needs some people who are willing to take a little more risk and those who are going to be far more cautious. And I want us to see that as an asset to our community and not a reason to think less of the other person. I respect where you are. I respect how you're dealing with this. And I want to give you the benefit of the doubt that you're doing the best that you can in the mess of life that we are right now. And I, I want to ask the same thing in return for myself and for others. We're going to be planning events in the coming weeks. And before we do any of that, I I needed to say this. We can't move forward without naming this and and choosing to work through it together. So when we gather, not everyone is going to agree how much caution we take to keep everyone safe. And if I'm honest, I worry about how you're going to feel about that. But I also, at these events, when we start to offer in-person things in the future, uh, in the coming weeks, uh, we're going to ask people to do things like wear a mask or necessary social distancing. And and we're going to have various recommendations and some will be requirements and somewhere in between. And I worry also about those who don't like that. What will you think of that request? How will you think of me or our church? And, And I hope in all of that, I say that just to say, hope you can see this is hard. So I want to be your pastor. I'm not bothered that you're living during this time potentially differently than me. I, I really do try to live in option one. I just want to give you grace. For those who haven't uh, um, left your home since this all started, who are doing everything that is being asked of you, going above and beyond to limit the spread of the virus, I have the utmost respect for you. For those who found clever ways to meet your need for social interaction, I see you and I get it. For those of you who are going out of your way to risk yourself to serve others, to engage in real work, essential work, helping, I'm inspired by your service. For those who are lost and confused and judge other people but find yourself doing the same thing that you're judging others for and it's all just so frustrating and hard and annoying and you just don't know what to think or do or believe, I feel you. I'm sorry. I'm there most days too. And for those who are staying in the conversation with people you love, choosing conversation over distance, I want to learn from you. I tend to choose option one. I want you to hear the grace that I have and as we mess around with this messiness that we call life. Now, there are times when I've disagreed. I have a close friend who is part of our church who I disagree with on things related to COVID, uh, mass, etc. We've talked about it a couple times. I think he understands how I feel. I think I understand how he feels. I haven't changed his mind. He hasn't changed mine. I still love him, and I know he still loves me. Here's how Paul says it. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. I'm not going to change your mind. I don't even know how I'd want to to begin with. I haven't set my mind yet, but we can allow God to change our hearts enough to give grace 
for each other in the midst of this time. I need your grace. Your neighbor needs your grace. You need grace for yourself. We need grace together. And here's the thing I love. God is a God of grace. God has so much grace to give. You can't outuse God's grace. It doesn't run out. Can that be how we move forward with grace? Not fear or anger or judgment, but grace. I plead with you to give it because I need it. Now, for those who disagree with what I've said, I hope you can hear my heart. For those who don't understand why I'm saying any of it, I'm grateful for your patience. For those who have been hit by these words, and that includes me, I want to invite you to a fresh start, a new life together. That's the crux of our faith is this idea that you can have a new beginning at any point. This is the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. And this is experienced, I think, in a lot of ways through the liturgy of confession, which is a symbol of what it means to die with Christ and come back to life again. That life is on the other side of death. We lower ourselves so God can lift us back up. So I'd invite you, wherever you are today, to join with me in this time of confession. Afterwards, we'll share in communion, which is a word that reminds us that God's table is about unity, about community, about love triumphing over our differences. Confession is beautiful because it's a time to recognize that I am not God. I'll be the first to tell you I don't have all the answers. I do not know people's hearts. Everything I share comes from my heart. I don't know your heart. I've not always gotten it right. So I go to God and I say, God, hear my prayer. Give me grace so I can give grace to others. So I invite you. The words will be on the lower part of the screen. Christ, our Lord, invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I invite you to spend a few moments in silence. Friends, I want you to hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. I invite you to repeat that back to me as you feel comfortable 
in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to be to God. Amen. In fact, friends, I invite you, if you're in a room and you feel comfortable or led, say it to the people you're in the room with. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you think you haven't done or what you've left undone. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. New start, new beginning, new life. The anger, the shame, the the frustrations, God can take those away. Today for communion, we're going to continue in our theme today of offering liturgy. Uh, as I've wrestled with the disorienting nature, nature of the world, I've just really wanted something to orient myself around. And I've not been a f- fan of liturgy. I know many of you, it's foreign to you. But I do find it's really great for orienting our lives around the basics of who we are. And so our communion today will be in the context of some of this liturgy that people have used for years you know, all around the world. Um, And you can follow along on the lower half of the screen. The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up our hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is right and good and joyful thing, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through the prophets. And so, with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Holy are you. And blessed is your son, Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach the good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captive and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that time had come when people would save, uh, when you would save your people. He healed the sick fed the hungry, ate with sinners. By baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant. By water and the Spirit, when the Lord ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and the Holy Spirit. So on the night in which he gave himself up to us, he took the bread, gave thanks to you, and he broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given do this in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup and he gave thanks to you, giving it to his disciples and said, drink from all of this, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drank it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. 
through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. And so now we pray as you taught your disciples, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we partake of the one loaf. The bread which we break is the sharing in the body of Christ. The cup over which uh, we uh, give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ. Friends, the body of Christ given for you, the blood of Christ shed for you.